Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Some of you, good? The other half of you are doing good too? Let me try again. How are we doing this morning, church? Thank you. It's one of those things that when you say good morning, do you do it every time, do you not? But I feel like it's, it's a good greeting, right? We're coming to enjoy each other's company. You guys, that was actually pretty good. Saturday night struggle, they really did. They just stared back at me. Um, uh, first hour, uh, they were lively. Second hour, I had to coax them into it. The second hour had issues. They didn't like the first two rows. So, so literally, no one sat in the first two rows. And I felt a little offended. Um, like, I know I spit a little, but I don't think it gets that far. Um, but, but you guys, are you ready? It's number four for me, but I'm ready to preach God's word, and I hope you're ready to hear it. Um, and so we have been in a series called Tell Me a Story, and so we're going to look at another parable from Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 18. That's where we're going to sit today. Um, but I got to start this series off. Um, next week is our last uh, uh, message. Pastor Phil is going to bring the last message in this series. But if you remember, if you were here when I first started this series, I told you I love stories. And it's true. I love them. I love to hear them. I love to tell them. It's on me when I tell them, and it's all about me. That's just a joke. Um, but I love stories. Um, and so one of the things for me, the be- one of the, my favorite ways to hear a story is uh, through Audible, through audiobooks. Anybody, any audiobook fans out there? Yes. I love audiobooks. And it's not because I can't read. No, it's just because I don't like to. Um, And so I can, I know how to, I I will read if I'm forced to. Um, You can ask my college professors, but I just... I just don't really enjoy it, but listening, I love. And so I don't listen to music in my car. I literally get my Audible account, which I have over 100 books, and I listen to a book. It's just how I enjoy it. But what I have found over all the years of listening to books, the reader of the story makes or breaks the book for me. It could be the best story in the world, but if the reader is horrible, it's a horrible book to me. And, and that's kind of how it works. And I'm talking about some books that I have read physically um, that I know how the story goes. So some of my favorites, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? Uh, the Lord of the Rings. I have, read, I have read these physically, but the readers on them on Audible, horrible. So bad. I mean, like, they, they're sitting there talking to me, and it's monotone voices, it's all this stuff. I mean, when you're listening to The Lord of the Rings, Tolkien's very descriptive anyway, but when you're hearing, and the brown tree had many notches, hobbits. I'm sitting here going, okay, I'm done. And so I literally would turn it off. And so I have found that the communicator of the book speaks way more to me than anything else. And so I found those. I will actually, I will find books based on the reader of the book, not the author. No joke. The reader, I will find. So there's readers, uh, Jim Dale, Jared Doyle, Amanda Dolans. These are people that I like listening to has nothing to do with the author, which is horrible. I'm not giving them any credit, but the communicator of that is way more important to me. And then, and then when you get into real life, it's kind of the same way too, right? You guys all know the people who are horrible storytellers, right? You know those in your life, you're like, oh, story. Um, in our house, it happens to be my daughter, uh, Nicole. And uh, it's so funny. So a couple years ago, Nicole w- went to visit um, her, my brother, her uncle, in Colorado. And so it was her first time, she was 13 years old, 
going to ride on a plane uh, by herself. And before you question my parenting decisions, people, it is all right, so the way they do it, it's really safe. You actually walk all the way to the gate um, with your child. They scan their bracelets, um, the, the flight attendant, like they're a piece of luggage. And then they put them on the plane. And then on the other side, my brother is waiting. When they get off the plane, they scan the luggage. I mean, my daughter. And then, um, and then he takes, takes her, and she's good to go. And then it's the same way on the reverse when you come back. So I had the pleasure of picking up Nicole and getting to hear all about her seven-day vacation with my brother in Colorado, which was fantastic. Well, all of a sudden, we're riding back um, from the airport, and she goes, Dad, you're never going to believe what happened on the plane. Now me, as a guy who loves stories, I am now engaged. I'm excited. She has set this up to be an epic story of magnitude proportions, right, where Dad, you're never going to believe, which means I should never be able to guess what I'm expecting. So I say, what? I'm just as excited. Nicole, tell me, what is going on? Like, what happened? She goes, well, I sat next to this lady on the plane, and we struck up this conversation, and we were talking about where we were going. So I told her, and then she told me that she was going to go visit her boyfriend in Canada. And there was a pause. So I am sitting here waiting. The, the story, right? And so I go, yeah, and what happened? She goes, nothing. <laughs> that, that was it. I just thought that was pretty cool. And I'm sitting here going, okay, like Canada's great and all, and I appreciate your story, but that, that's not a story. Like literally, that's like, that's like the first part of a story, maybe a decent intro, but there was nothing. She goes, what, what? I just thought it was a good story, which has now become the joke in our house because whenever someone tells a story that it just doesn't meet it, we go, oh, did they go to Canada too? Um, and so we just realized that Nicole isn't a good storyteller, but she's working on it. I mean, we're trying to teach her, so she's getting there. But the communication relay the story is huge, right? Jesus, I believe, knew how to communicate. That's how he did. That's what this whole thing's about. And for us, we have to get in the habit of when we're talking to people, when we're communicating God's word, that we have to do it in such a way that people will actually listen. Because I find so often that when people are saying, yeah, I'm not getting it or I'm not listening or I didn't hear it, it's maybe sometimes because of us. Now, having two teenage daughters in the home, um, there's a lot of not listening that goes on. Uh, and so I find myself saying to my wife, they don't hear me at all. And I know no other parent in this room has ever experienced that. It's only in my house. And, and so I have those moments when I'm like, oh, man, I feel like I'm talking to a wall or I feel like I'm saying something and they're just not getting it. And, and, and here's the thing, though. I have to ask myself as a parent, if I constantly am saying something and they're not hearing it, is it them not listening or is it me not communicating well? And, and, and I think it, it's, it can be both. Trust me, I have two teenage daughters. It can be both. But I do have to ask myself every so often, am I not communicating well? I would say that goes in the business world too. If you have employees that you feel like you're constantly saying to the, about all of your employees especially, man, I keep saying this, they don't listen to me, they're not listening at all. I would venture to say, make sure you're asking yourself the question, am I communicating well? 
Am I actually communicating what I'm wanting them to hear in a way that they'll actually hear it? That's what I love how Jesus spoke to people. When it was time to go sit at a meal and just talk over dinner, he would do it. When it was time to preach a lesson, because he knew that's what it he would do it. And when we come to the parables, which is what we've been in, he told stories so that people would hear it. This is what a parable is, and we've talked about this every week, but I want to make sure we understand. A parable is a simple story to communicate and illustrate an important moral or spiritual lesson and truth. So Jesus was saying, we're going to take a modern day story that you would understand. You understand the context of what's happening, and I'm going to give a spiritual truth that we can pull from that. Over 35 of these parables throughout the New Testament so that people could hear and understand. The story we're going to look at, the parable we're going to look at today, is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Pharisee and the tax collector. Now, here's the deal we know, we know about Pharisees and tax collectors. We've heard about them, but I want to make sure we truly know what it meant in this day and age. When, when people heard, what did they have already in their head? about these characters, because we only know them through Scripture, right? So, so what, what was happening? So let me tell you a little bit about um, both of these characters. The first one is the Pharisee. The Pharisee is actually mentioned 98 times in the New Testament. 98 times, most in the four Gospels. That means that they were an important character that Jesus would use to illustrate points. Important part of that. Their biggest contribution to Christianity was actually their, their pursuit of oral tradition of God's word. They would want people to memorize and speak God's word regularly. They wanted you to know it. They wanted it to be hidden in your heart. So they would push very hard in all of their groups to say, hey, are you memorizing scripture? Are you knowing the first five books, the law at the time, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, do you know scripture? And so they were a big proponent of oral tradition because remember, they didn't have a lot of writings that went around, so they had to speak it. So they were huge on that. They were considered in this time, day and age, holy men who kept the law. Kind of officers for religious rules. They would go around and they would know what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do. If you know anything about Old Testament tradition, there were over 600 laws. That's a lot. Um, that would go on. And so they, they would kind of keep those up. They were known for pursuing purity with a passion and wanted nothing more than to live lives that pleased God. Sounds like pretty good people, right? They were not official rabbis. So some people think that they were teachers, official teachers, rabbis at the time. They were not. They were known for a couple things. They were a religious movement, a political movement, and a social movement. So they, they had their hands in a lot of cookie jars. But essentially the governing authorities looked to them to say, hey, are, is everybody doing what they're supposed to do? But in this time and day and age, they actually were considered very high people. On paper, they look awesome, don't they? But we know, if we've read anything in Scripture, that who does Jesus yell about and complain about more than anybody else? 98 times, Pharisees. Right? But on paper, that's who they were. The tax collectors, however, did not have such a good reputation. They were essentially the IRS of the time, but with no checks and balances. And so people didn't like them for a few reasons. I'll name four. 
Um, the first one is, is no one likes to pay money to the government. Amen? Amen. Uh, especially in the Roman Empire in the first century. Because it was a big deal. If you didn't pay your taxes, you could immediately go to jail. The person collecting them could send you. is a big deal. So, so especially in the first century of the Roman government, not good. The second one was that the, the, the tax collectors at this time in these locations were actually Jewish tax collectors collecting money for the Romans. So they were seen as traitors. So it wasn't just like, hey, they're taking my money. It was my own people taking my money for other people. So they were considered traitors of the time. This is why people were so, didn't like them so much. The third thing, it was commonly known that tax collectors took money off the top. And, and no one could do anything about it. So, so essentially, they'd come in and one week they'd say, hey, where's your 5%? So you pay the 5%. The next week they could say, hey, you owe me 10% this week. Why do I owe you 10%? Because I said it went up. When they're not paying 10% to the Roman government, they're going to pay their 5%, but they're going to keep the other 5% to themselves. And there was nothing they could do because if you say, hey, that's not fair, you say, well, let's go to jail. We'll see how fair that is. So there was, there was nothing there, so they weren't liked. The fourth reason they didn't like them is because they collected so much money off the top, they now were considered a, in a new economic class. So people were envious of them and what they had in the money. Do you get the feel of what's going on? So tax collectors were essentially on paper the worst of the worst. Some people have correlated them with the modern-day drug dealer because it's something that you have to go back for, you have to have. That's what they correlate them with. On paper, they were the worst. When you look at how Jesus handled things, though, Jesus hated on Pharisees and spent time with tax collectors. That's interesting to me. When you look at the modern day, people were, were, you're sitting here going, well, yeah, we don't like Pharisees for this reason. They didn't have that impression at that time. Let me talk about why. Luke chapter 18, verse 9, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down to everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This, this essentially parable came down to two people. It's a Pharisee versus a tax collector, right? A Pharisee versus a tax collector. I believe the Pharisee in this parable is a representation of what we would say the modern day church. It's talking to us in that way. The tax collector is talking to the, the lost person outside of these walls. And so it becomes the, the Pharisee. And what I see in here is in the prayers of these two guys, the Pharisee lacked some things the tax collector longed for some things. And I'd like to look at what that is because I think this is a great word for our church today. The first thing that the Pharisee lacked is he lacked humility. 
He lacked humility. Look at that first verse in 11. It says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Can you imagine that? And we might know some people every so often who talk like that. But God, thank you so much. I ain't like them. That's how he starts his prayer. And if you go on and you see the rest of his prayer, he says, I thank you. I am not like. I fast twice a week. Of all I get, there are a lot of I statements in that prayer. He has made that all about him. There, that's not a prayer to God. That's a prayer praising himself. And there, there is a fine line, church, between confidence in who God has called us to be because we can all have that. God has called every single one of you, and there's a confidence in who God has called us to be, but there's a fine line from confidence to arrogance. And can I tell you, I think sometimes, even as a church as a whole, we get our lines crossed. Yeah, but our church does this, and our church does that, and our church has nothing to do with our church. Is everything up there. And so we can have a confidence without being arrogant. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, true humility, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. You don't have to think less of who you are, who God has called you to be. But you do need to start thinking of yourself less. And God has called all of us as a church to have humility. And this Pharisee lacked that. The second thing that he lacked is he, he lacked compassion and chose comparison. He lacked compassion and chose comparison. Look at this. After he says, hey, God, thank you that I'm not like everybody else, he begins to name all the other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. You see, compassion is this idea of knowing other people, going to where they're at, seeing where they're at. When you have to start pointing out everybody else's flaws so that you can look good. And can I also tell you when your line of standard is, hey, guess what? I'm better than adulterers. I'm better than evildoers. Your line's pretty low. But I find myself I find myself doing that. Hey, well, at least I'm not like this person, or at least I don't do this. At least I, and we use these words of at least I. I'm sorry, why is your standard the least, the little? Why is our standard not what God calls us to be? So God calls us to this, but we go down to here and say, hey, well, this person's here, so as long as I stay past that I'm good it's not like you're in a race trying to get away from a bear and you sit here and go the only way I can I don't have to win I just have to no that's not how this works and instead of having compassion on these people we compare ourselves you look at Jesus Jesus didn't have to jump up on a pedestal and look down on people you often find Jesus kneeling at their feet, washing it, serving. The Pharisee stands there and says, look at me. 
Look at me. And yet in our world today, this is where we struggle. If you don't believe me about compassion versus comparison, scroll through your Facebook account. Right? Our world is in a huge comparison all over the place. Masks, no mask, virtual, hybrid, Republican, Democrat, and I am a smart enough man to not get into politics up here. But if you notice, it's all about which one and our standards, the, the other one. That's not how God has called us to live. Are some of those issues important? Absolutely. But when our comparison is the other side, instead of up there, I feel we've missed it. The, the third thing I see that the, the Pharisee lacked is he, he lacked true righteousness. He says in verse 12, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. And here's, here's what righteousness is, is. It's the idea that we can be washed new, we can have forgiveness, that we can be saved, right? That's what righteousness is. And so I think that the Pharisee has lacked true righteousness because he's found righteousness, but it's through his actions. Do you notice that? It's, it's what he does is how he is the standard of am I righteous or not. It's not a true righteousness. You see, the Pharisee is a doer. He's, he's, he's a guy who checks off his check boxes. Hey, I fasted this week. I gave a tenth. I went to church. I commented nicely on someone's Facebook page. I did this, and he started checking off his boxes. And he says, because of that, good Christian. Right? That's all the stuff that he did. And he, he lacked the true righteousness that says, hey, God, I thank you for just being you. Thank you for saving me. And so as he was a doer, he stopped living. He says, what do I do? My question is, what's his lifestyle? Does his lifestyle reflect God? Or is he so busy checking off boxes? As a church, I think we work really hard to check off our boxes. And I'm wondering if we need to start saying, God, where are you at? And, all. and then we come to the, the tax collector's prayer. And where the Pharisee lacked, we see how the tax collector longed for things. The first thing he longed for was community. In verse 13 it says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. Notice he stood outside, outside looking in on what everybody else had. He longed for what they had. Do you notice where the, the, the Pharisee stood? It says he stood by himself, which is interesting. But I don't think it was because he was looking at a distance. I believe he was standing by himself going like this. Look at me, Right? The tax collector stood outside the building, outside where they're at, and just longed, man, how do I get that? I believe we have people outside these walls looking in. And I, I believe sometimes we go, man, yeah, you do need Jesus. And there's a church down the road that you would fit you perfectly. 
because we're afraid of the community of what they would bring in here. When they're sitting here going, man, I just want the God you serve. And I'm wondering, is our church a place that exuberates the attitude that we don't want you here? Or are we a church that is inviting to everybody who sees this place? And I don't mean that just about Colonial Woods. I'm saying this in general. But I will tell you that that tax collector longed for the community that he sees that we have. The second thing he longed for is forgiveness. It says he would not even look up to the heaven. We know that look, right? That look of guilt and shame that says, man, I don't know how I'm going to make this happen. Um, I have a five-year-old son named Wilson. A lot of you have met him, seen him around here. And I know it would be hard for you to believe that Wilson, every so often, doesn't do what he's supposed to. I know it was surprising to me too. But it happens a lot. And it usually ends with Wilson off somewhere after he's done something wrong. And then all of a sudden I have to say, Wilson, James, Hamrick, get your little self in here. And I don't say it that quietly or with that attitude. It's usually a lot louder. Yes. But when he walks in, this is Wilson when he walks in. And some of you have probably never seen this. Your kids are perfect. Um, but walks in, shoulder slumped, head down. Yes, Daddy. And what is he wanting? He, Do you still love me? Right? He's looking at forgiveness. It kind of looks a little bit like this. All right. Well, apparently while I was out, somebody got into the kitty cat treats. Now, I'm going to go look at the suspects. Suspect number one. Is it you, Macy? See your face. Did you do this? Did you? I don't think you did. Number two. What? Did you do this? Denver, did you do this? Denver, was this you? Denver, you won't look at me. Did you? What? Denver, did you do this? Look at me. Come here. Let me see. Let me see your face. Oh my goodness, Denver, you didn't. You did this? You got in the kitty cat's treats? While I was gone? I can't believe it. Are you sorry about it? Okay. You know the routine. In the kennel. Go on. Very disappointed. You're in the penalty box. 
You let it happen. I hope you're happy too. It's ever longed for forgiveness, right? It's that look, we've seen that, you know, and, and we have that. And I believe that the tax collector was saying, Lord, I know I messed up. And I long for that. The third, the third thing that he longed for is he longed for mercy and grace. It says at the end of verse 13, it says, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It says, I know I've messed up. That word mercy in, in the Greek means propitious, which is, is, is to be appeased or make it right. And so he's actually saying this. He says, but he beat his breast and said, God, satisfy your wrath on me. Set, I know that I have messed up and we need to make this right. How do we do that? Because I'm a sinner. I've messed up. And he longed for that. He longed to make it right between him and the Lord. Satisfy your wrath on me, God. Which takes us to the fourth thing that he longed for. He longed for a Savior. In verse 14 it says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Which means he went home being saved. And it says this man, the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified. Did you catch that? This man, the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, which the representation that we know of is the church. And when you look at this parable, so often we see this about a bad guy versus a good guy. And can I tell you, that's not what this parable is about. This parable is about two guys in need of a savior. One guy knew it, the other guy didn't. Did you catch that? One guy knew he needed a savior, the other guy didn't. And it became about more of a heart issue of where they were at. And can I tell you, here's what gets me. Did you notice who this parable is talking to? See, Jesus, Jesus always tells the people who this is for. And if you go back to verse 9, the very beginning of this parable, this is what it says. It says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Do you notice who he was talking to? He was talking to you and me. He wasn't talking to the tax collector. He wasn't talking to people outside this building. He was saying, hey, to everyone who is confident of their own righteousness and look down at everyone else, that's the Pharisee. Two guys who needed a Savior, one who knew, one who didn't. And he's saying, church, we might be the one who doesn't know that we need a Savior. We're too busy checking off boxes to see what's right in front of us. It's a heart issue. We all have it. And here's what scares me if you go to the end of the verse in 14, that second half of 14, it says this, for all those who exalt themselves will be 
humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. And there are three words right there that scare me. Will be humbled. I don't know about you, but if the Lord has to do the humbling, it ain't going to be pretty. And so he gives us this warning. He says, are you going to be a, a Pharisee who is lacking, or are you going to be a tax collector who is longing? But at the end of the day, it's about where your heart's at and what you can see. In the Old Testament, Saul had done a little bit where he had messed up, and so they were looking for a new king. Samuel and says, Samuel, I'm going to send you to the house of Jesse, and I want you to go there because one of his sons is going to be the next king of Israel. So Samuel goes, and he goes to Jesse's house, and out walks out of Jesse's house his oldest son, Eliab, and Eliab stands, and can I tell you, Eliab was a specimen of a man, huge, big muscles, tall, all that you would say, and Samuel looks at him and goes, wow, that's our next king, that's got to be our next king. And this is what the Lord says to Samuel. He says, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord, the Lord looks at the heart. And church, can I tell you that I think that we, we've been really good at making sure we look good. We are. We're great at it. We hide the things we don't want people to see great so that when people in this room or people outside this room look at us, we're, we're good. How you doing? I'm great. But we don't fool the Lord. He doesn't look at that stuff. It's a heart issue. And so my question for you this morning is, is what's your heart issue? We all have it. I promise you, we all have it. Myself included, we have a heart issue. The bigger question is, is are you going to allow yourself to be Are you going to allow God to work on that? Or are we going to remain like the Pharisees who are lacking? Did you notice what God told Samuel? He says, do not consider his parents or his height. I have rejected him. In our parable, he will be humbled. On paper, the Pharisee is way better than the tax collector. But why does Jesus 98 times bring them up and very rarely is it a positive? Church, what's your heart issue?
what your heart is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, we come before you knowing we are people who lack. And God, can I tell you, this, this message spoke to me. Especially as a pastor. Lord, I, I feel at times I have to put on the mask, the facade, Lord, to make sure that people know I'm good. And Lord, it showed me so much more as I looked at this, how much I need you. That this is a daily process, not a one and done, Father. It's not one time I come to you and then I'm good. Lord, it's every day, every morning and every night I'm saying, God, I need you. I long for you. I need that Savior every day. And I'm tired of hiding. I'm tired of just being empty inside, Lord. Please, I long for you. Lord, would you fix my heart? Lord, would you challenge me to be better? Lord, we love you. We thank you for speaking to us in ways we understand. Thank you for being the great communicator. But now it's our turn to listen. Lord, I pray that we do that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.